Hello guys, what is up? My name is Dylan. Welcome to the Popcorn Podcast. This is episode number 12 in which we are going to be talking about Christopher Nolan's latest uh, epic, Oppenheimer, a film I'm sure everyone here is no stranger to. Well, I bloody hope so, actually. <laughs> we are going to be talking about it and for you guys watching. Uh, hopefully you've uh, got a chance to see the film. Uh, we are going to be talking spoilers, so please uh, be warned. Guys, welcome. Welcome back, I should Thank say. Both of much. you have... You're both veterans. You both here on the very first episode. Nice to see you. Yeah, it's Mickey. good to be back. Yeah, yeah Mickey, yeah. we just shot Barbie. Yeah, um, yeah. So that should quick, be out quick, right now. Quick, quick outfit change. Quick outfit change. And Theo, welcome back. Is this my second or third? With like, which ones have we you done? You should know. I should know. It's, it's the, your second. It's your second. You're okay. here for the first episode, and now you're here for episode twelve. I it's didn't nice get the cool. I didn't get the cool back it's until the, now. It's the, he was in Thailand. He was doing things. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, but he was always he always remained close to our hearts. Um, anyways, enough about Theo Brown and more about Robert Oppenheimer, <laughs> guys. Um, what do we think? I know Christopher Nolan is the typical film bro director here. You know, everyone knows the name if you know film somewhat. But what do you guys think of Christopher Nolan as a filmmaker? Well, first of all, I just got to point out to everybody that Theo kind of looks like Nolan. Yeah, he does a little bit, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. do model myself off Christopher Nolan. I do have to say that, yeah. <laughs> and But not as much as the guy that you played tennis with one time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah there was this one guy I was playing. I didn't play tennis with him. I saw him and I was like, holy shit. That that was, and, and Dylan put it on his story and it was like genuinely, it, I was like, it's Nolan. I'll try it. You know what? Just Maybe yeah, I'll attach it. Right Look, now. it's here. Yeah. Here. <laughs> no. Um, anyways, yes. Thoughts on Christopher Nolan. Theo, do you want to kick this one off? Yeah. So Christopher Nolan, as you said, yeah, he's the film bro director. He's sort of perfect for that as well in the sense that his films are full of mystery and, uh, and what would you say, mathematical equations yep. to sort of delve into. Um, so he does sort of draw that appeal. Um, I think he's great. I, I really like uh, a lot of his films. Like they're all entertaining. Um, there's they're not perfect. I don't think he's um, necessarily a perfect filmmaker. But you know, there's a lot of really good work in in his filmography. Yeah, definitely, Mickey. Yeah, I agree. I love Nolan as well. Um, I think he's got a solid, like um, a really, really more than solid, actually, like a great. Um, the filmography and uh, I think he is he's doing some really incredible uh, incredible things and his work is just really cerebral and 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 he's very passionate about film and you can see it on every level like he really he's a detail-oriented man and a brilliant screenwriter mm. yeah well for me I think or well, not I think Christopher Nolan is one of the most pivotal figures in my journey as a, f a film lover um, his films have had such a profound impact on my life, I guess. They've been instrumental in sort of shaping not just my taste in films, but also just opening me up to the possibilities of what cinema is like capable of. I still remember to this day, one of the most notable experiences of my life was seeing The Dark Knight back in summer of 2008 when I was nine years old. Um, and even though I couldn't fully grasp every single concept that he was throwing my way at, th at that age, I knew I was watching something special and I was completely blown away. And um, there have been many films that he has made that are some of my all-time favorites. Um, I did want to ask you guys, what are your like top three Nolan films? Do you? Do you have um, a top three? Yeah, I do. Um very much so in in order or just you can do three. them in any order if you'd like for me it's uh memento 
uh, Inception, Interstellar. Okay. Those three. Without the Dark Knight? Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, Yourself, Mickey? For me, it's... Uh, if we're, Are we talking favorite or best? Favorite, favorite, favorite. Um, Interstellar, Dark Knight, Inception. Yeah, I, I, I have the exact same favorites. If we had to take away the Dark Knight, what would yeah, you put in there? Uh, Interstellar, Inception, I'd Memento. I'd put or the, maybe I'd, Prestige. I'd put the Prestige. Or maybe Prestige. Yeah. I haven't seen it in a while, to be fair. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Like, I, I, I rewatched Memento maybe two years ago, and it's been four or five since Prestige. Yeah. No, but I'm I'm glad we did touch upon Memento and the Prestige because I do actually kind of want to say a, a little bit about that when we talk yeah, about yeah. Oppenheimer. But speaking of which, let's get on into the discussion. So uh, Oppenheimer, like we said, is the latest film by director Christopher Nolan. Uh, a brief plot synopsis to kick things off. Once again, guys, uh, we are going to be talking spoilers from this point on. Yeah. So if you haven't seen the film, please go and check it out and come and return to this discuss the discussion at a later time. So... Oppenheimer, written and directed by the one and only Christopher Nolan, based on the book American Prometheus, The Triumph and Tragedy of J. Robert Oppenheimer, a three-hour-long biopic on the man known as the father of the atomic bomb, J. Robert Oppenheimer. The film follows the physicist during World War II when Lieutenant General Leslie Groves Jr. appoints him to work on the top-secret Manhattan Project. Oppenheimer and his team of scientists spend years developing and designing the atomic bomb until July 16, 1945, when their work finally comes to fruition and they bear witness to the world's first ever nuclear explosion, an event that ultimately changes the course of history forever. Mm. It's quite a... I'm, pr- I'm quite proud of that. That uh, was good delivery but, there. Yeah. That was really like... Usually I'm like stumbling that's, that's on the... On 12 the episodes synopsis. in, that's like solid. Yeah. I think I'm nailed the plot synopsis. The next <laughs> time I'm going to... Yeah. Um, Strongest suit. Yeah. Uh, verdict on the film, guys. Straight out of the cinema. Let's start with Theo because I kind of know... We'll, we'll get to Mickey in a second. Well, I'm very interested in what has to say. Um, for me, I watched it at the Swiss Cottage IMAX two days ago. Shout out to Swiss Cottage. Yes. <laughs> it's it's not as big as the Shout BFI. Out yeah. Shout out IMAX. Shout out IMAX. IMAX, yeah, yeah. Fire, yeah. Yeah, in general. Um, what would I have to say? So I was captivated uh, throughout. It moves really quickly. It's super engaging, very rich in dialogue and theme and um just dense in the yeah. amount of basically i don't know <laughs> um what would you well, how would you describe it the dense in the amount of information information yeah. that you know the politics of the time um and basically yeah i i really enjoyed it i couldn't quite grasp all of the context yeah. all of the politics and it made me think about what the intention of the director of Nolan is, is is it for a mass audience to understand first viewing or is it actually a a piece of artwork, um, you know, a historical artifact that should be sort of analyzed and interpreted over time. Mm. And I think it's actually the latter. So, um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to rewatching it and sort of delving in further. Yeah. But you did enjoy it though. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. Uh, Mickey, because we, me, myself and Mickey, we went to see this uh, at the IMAX at Leicester Square. I feel like there is this agenda that's like, I didn't (laughs) like Oppenheimer or something, which is not true. I did like Oppenheimer. I think it's a, it's a wonderful, oops, it's a wonderful film and an, an incredible film um on many levels there are some things in it that don't click with me actually mainly the things that theo mentioned it's density i think it's personally i think it's too information driven and too um dense and uh the political side of things which 
I, maybe it's I just I think on a rewatch you'd know what you're getting yourself into, but I expected it to be um, a little bit more on the human side of things, and it's actually very like as biopicy political history as they come. It's very much so like um, uh, uh, a, a representation of the time. Yeah. Uh, but I, I did like Oppenheimer. I, I love Oppenheimer. I think um, I was just surprised because I thought that it would um, go a different route. I thought it would be a lot more Oppenheimer focused. I actually don't think it's that. It's ironically, it's I would say it's a film about the making of the atomic bomb more than it is about Robert. Mm, interesting. Okay. Um, yeah, Which I- is not a bad thing. No, no, no. It's yeah. Let's just like what you were saying with the intention of of Nolan, which we'll get into in a second. As for myself, I think like, I think I'm more along your lines, Theo. I I knew as soon as I fin- as soon as the credits hit, it's a film that I was gonna see at least one one more time. Dense is the word here when talking about this. Is yeah, yeah. by far Nolan's most dense and informative film. It's three hours in length, and there is so much information being sped your way. I think it's kind of impossible at least for someone who doesn't necessarily isn't familiar with all the pol- like the political environment of the time and all those intricacies to get on a first viewing um a lot of people um say this is a flaw of nolan that the fact that you do have to keep going back and watching just because you know you might not get it the first time um i kind of love that about him like every time like with tenet you know, we yeah. everyone had their issues with Tenet and understanding what the hell was going on there, and then going on uh, rewatching it. For me, I had better experiences with it, and I was able to see new things on my rewatches. I can understand some people find that frustrating, um, but for myself, I did enjoy Oppenheimer. I wouldn't put it at the top with Inception, Interstellar, Dark Knight in terms of that. But how I do think there are some things in the film that it's like the best of of of, of Nolan and. Um, yeah, I did enjoy it, and I can't wait to to sink my teeth into it again. Uh, speaking of the positives here, what would you say, uh, guys, is the best aspect of Oppenheimer? If you had to put put it down to one thing about the film, uh, what was something that blew you away about the film, or you were re- incredibly Good. nice? Pun. Uh, I didn't intend for that. <laughs> uh, yeah, what was something that really t- uh, really blew you away? I guess I I have two things. Okay, every time the film went into Oppenheimer's subjective experience. Mm. Whether it was the visions of sort of subatomic particles sort yeah. of colliding with each other in the uh, first act of the film, I was already sort of going, okay, this is this is new, this mm. is interesting, and I like it. And then also later on, when you sort of see these, you know, the overexposure of certain scenes, and then hearing different sound designs and screams and whatever, I thought that was a really. I just loved it every time we were very much inside Oppenheimer's subjective experience. And then the second thing was Matt Damon. I loved that sort of chalk and cheese yes. um, dynamic they had. It sort of brought a much needed levity to the sort yeah. of second act of the film. Um, and that sort of made the second act sort of glide through. So then when we finally got to the Trinity test and then into the third act, it sort of we were sort of ready for it. Mm. Yeah. Yourself, Mickey? I would say top was probably the, the general structure of the film. Mm. I'm a sucker for, you know, non-linear and I think just Nolan in general, his structure is is, is sublime. Yeah. And he, I think he gets bored of linear. I think he likes to challenge himself. He likes to do weird shit like that. And, and uh, challenge the audience as well. Yeah, 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 and I love that. Like it's, it's, I think it's proof that people are 
smarter than you than some filmmakers give them credit for. Yeah. People do not need to be spoon fed. You exactly. will get it. Like, exactly. Because yeah. the the narrative is very unusual for a biopic. Very very. It, it's not. There isn't really a most non non linear narratives have a formula. This one doesn't. It just kind of jumps up and down. Um, and uh, I love that. Yeah, and it can't be understated. But Nolan, I'd say more than any other director, has used time, and that is yeah, his yeah. kind of thing. As I think something he is can't his... he can't control himself and not exactly. do time in some way. Yeah, even in this one, he's like he needed to do time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think like one of the things for me that I really loved about Oppenheimer, one of the reasons I actually I liked it is because it actually reminded me a lot of Nolan's earlier works. I found it to be like really nostalgic of his mm. like roots in the industry, but also like a really wonderful demonstration of his evolution as a filmmaker. Um, like I can see a lot of people who really love The Dark Knight and Inception Interstellar not really loving Oppenheimer, finding it boring just because it isn't as sort of flashy or action sort of action driven as those films. But yeah, I I really liked the fact that I feel like it has a lot of remnants remnants of the old Nolan. Like, for example, like besides the obvious sort of black and white versus color storytelling, mm. I found it to like the whole thing is like this really sort of harrowing character study, um, like similar to, to in tone of like to something like Memento, mm. and this whole idea of like one man uh, like wrestling with his identity and purpose in the world it, I, I i saw a lot of similarities to memento in that sense also one of the main things for me was the whole oppenheimer versus strauss objective subjective perspective yeah. and that kind of being mirrored in the prestige with robert angia and alfred borden hugh jackman and christian bell's differing perspectives mm. i thought that was done like really well that sort of really reminded me of that but like i mean i'm not going to just sit here and talk about all these sort of earlier elements of nolan like i said i i, I found it to be like i think some of the things he's done in this film is is some of his very best work um and i can see like over time how he's evolved so much as a filmmaker i think oppenheimer is as with most nolan films like just completely stunning on a technical perspective yeah, yeah. the music and sound we were just briefly talking about the sound i know there are some issues with that but i will say like it is a major step up from something like tenet oh yeah obviously he yeah. i think the thing i loved the most about the sound in oppenheimer and that it was one of the highlights for me is I remember seeing that you could hear the dialogue. <laughs> That's a highlight. That that. But also <laughs> I remember seeing an interview with Christopher Nolan after I think on the Tenet Press tour. And he was talking about like genres that he hasn't delved into yet, like comedy. And he'd be really scared to do that just because comedy is really difficult to do, but also horror and how mm. horror is the most visceral of genres. And I found like the sound design in Oppenheimer was him very much flirting with that genre. It is a, an incredibly intense sound design. And like, even from the marketing and the trailers, these like sort of like crackling and like booms and it's really, really intense and overwhelming. And something I genuinely thought I could like, uh, that, that those are sounds that you only hear in like supernatural horror films. And I thought that was really quite like really interesting to almost give this like explosive texture, um, this explosive quality of the, the nuke some sort of like life i don't know there's like this really eerie and sinister quality to it i don't know if that was just me and like i think that all comes into play after the detonation when you kind of don't see much of the destruction but you can't you can hear it mm. and i thought that was really powerful not showing the images but it goes quiet for a moment it yeah, does yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. for a like suspended period of time yeah uh, it does 
and then but there's also a great moment when the camera just sort of floats right next to the to the um the bomb and there's like wind and they're in the in the top of that chamber and you just hear that sort of eerie like wind whistling yeah. through it's, it's pretty pretty scary i think the sound is definitely like one of the best technical bits in it definitely because this isn't it's don't get me wrong it's gorgeous but it's not his most impressive film visually because you've got things like Interstellar, Inception, Tenet, like I think the premise of those films lends more. Exactly. To, no, yeah. that's what I mean. Like it's it's just you know you've got Tenet, which I think is a problematic film. I think even Nolan would admit so. Um, but um, Nolan, comment below if you do. Um, but um, I think this guy uh, doesn't even have a mobile phone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But I think I think Tenet is like visually one of the most unique things I've seen in my life. And Oppenheimer is beautiful, but it's not. It just doesn't. It's not about you know time dilation no um so um sound really stands out score is amazing this ludwig Göransson score yeah, is yeah, fantastic yeah. i still i think if i was to compare this score and the tenet score i still prefer the tenet score just because it's more experimentative and it's mm. so layered and he's doing something completely different but there's a track in the oppenheimer score called uh, can you hear the music Mm. that's just fantastic yeah mm. it's played earlier on in the film i remember listening to it and i was like right this is going to be a standout track um and dylan is a score nerd i i kind of uh, you're a score nerd. i kind when, of uh, when you when dylan drives you in his car it's just <laughs> film scores in the background but it's nice though yeah, is it not? It's, it's really lovely. good yeah, um but yeah, yeah, I think Ludwig Göransson, he's almost like the, I, I kind of see him as almost like the Jesus of film scorers. Like he looks like Jesus. I don't know yeah, if you've seen yeah, him. He, he looks like Childish Jesus. Childish Gambino. Like he, he, was yeah. a, he was a crazy producer like back in the day. Yeah, he's great. And like, um, obviously Nolan has had like a long history in collaboration with Hans Zimmer. And yeah. then obviously Tenet was the first film to kind of break that. And Ludwig Göransson kind of knows what, sort of what kind of sounds Nolan likes but he's also been able to sort of develop that I knew even I, I love Zimmer but I think I, I adore Zimmer but I think it's a new wave yeah. it's time for like yeah. uh, uh, there's something like new yeah. new doesn't mean better but it's just different you know yeah yeah, yeah. and I think that speaks like Nolan's since Tenet, he's collaborated with so many new faces. Like, because that, that, yeah. you know, there was the whole like he was always collaborating with Kenneth Branagh, Killian. I mean, Killian. Wally, Wally Fister. Wally Fister, uh, and now he's got Hoyter Van Hoytema, who, by the way, is one of the greatest living yeah, yeah, cinematographers. Yeah. Um, but editing-wise, he used to um, uh, Lee Smith was his editor, and now it's switched to Jennifer Lame, who did mm. Tenet. She also did Hereditary. I think I said this. Yeah, too. yeah we spoke really about weird. That. But the range of that. I editor. think the one of the most interesting things is like what stage did the score come in? Um, because it is in times cut to the score, mainly the third act. Yeah, third act is like because of the way it jumps between black and white, non-black and white, etc. It is very much, no, and I'm not talking about beat per beat. I'm talking about the general pace of like these massive 30, 40 minute sequences is done to the music. Mm. So I wonder what that collaboration was like. Well, I know that Ludwig Göransson was on set for a lot of Tenet when he was doing the score for that. So yeah. it was like kind of he's able to be on set and sort of see the images. And so when mm. he goes back into the studio, he kind of he's already got the ideas going. Okay. And he can, so it's like uh, I don't know how much of uh, how much Hans Zimmer did with that. I mean, he didn't go to uh, the water planet <laughs> in Interstellar. I don't believe. Uh, but no, yeah, the, the editing as well. I think was really f fantastic yeah, yeah, in this film. It was like most of the film is just people talking, but the editing it, it makes those conversations so riveting to watch, or at least a lot of them so mm -hmm. riveting to watch. And like you said, Theo, um, the whole sort of 
when Oppenheimer is sort of plagued by these visions of subatomic particles and fire and stuff in the beginning when he's having these panic attacks, the, uh, the way those images work in conjunction with Killian Murphy's face, yeah. I thought was really like, it really put you in the psyche of the character at the start. Um, even though I do agree with you and I feel like there is a bit of a disconnect in really understanding yeah. who this person is. Cinematography, Hoyt van Hotema, fantastic. The whole IMAX thing, which these guys have been just pushing the boundaries of mm. every time they new, do a new film. Yeah, like the BFI IMAX is like booked out until like oh, yeah. August. 4 a.m. Yeah. screen. I know, right? Booked Crazy. But I, I went into a rabbit hole and I went on the subreddit for IMAX and it's like, it's the best place right now because everybody's sharing their like IMAX experiences and everything. Basically, every 70 millimeter um, IMAX in the world is sold out forever. For Oppenheimer, I mean. I, I heard that people are selling, reselling their tickets on eBay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah for like two, three hundred wow. pounds. Yeah. It's That's crazy, right? Yeah, it's insane. Yeah. Uh, really crazy. Yeah. When you think about it. And they've added like, I read that like the Washington IMAX or something, they added a 1.35 a.m. and a 5 a.m. to go with their 9 a.m. Like they're just like getting it. And I was like, if I was IMAX, I would go to Nolan and I'd be like, how much money do you want so we always have one of your prints on? Because it was just set like, if they went, yeah. I'm so, after Oppenheimer, I was like, oh, I wish I could rewatch Interstellar on IMAX. Yeah. I was hoping to do oh, that wow. before. Yeah, yeah. Imagine if they just had Nolan's filmography just constantly going on I think at the, IMAX. I think the week, BFI did rotation. a Nolan rerun before this was released. Yeah, Couldn't catch it. Too busy doing this, obviously. Yeah. Um, but no, I would really love to see. I I have seen a lot of Nolan, most of Nolan's films in IMAX. I saw Interstellar in IMAX, uh, and yeah. that was. Insane. I've seen that, that three times. It was incredible. Oh. When the three rocket times takes only, not eleven like Endgame. I could, bro, the availability. They don't have the. They don't have yeah, the. I know, I know. I'm telling you, Endgame is like the most successful, one of the most successful films in history, yeah, and yeah. half of the revenue was just me. Yeah, literally, <laughs> literally. Yeah, performances, the cast can't be understated. This is Emily Blunt. People don't speak enough about her. She was amazing in it. She was. And Emily the scene Blunt. where she's like supposed to testify. Emily Blunt fantastic. was so good in it, I thought. Uh, obviously, obviously, Killian Murphy is amazing. Killian Murphy. Um, I'm, you know what? I'm really happy for Killian Murphy because it was like, it feels like it was only yesterday when he sort of auditioned for Batman Begins. Didn't get the role. Yeah, got Scarecrow. And now he's in a Nolan, now he's a Nolan lead. lead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like incredible. And seeing his career progress. His from, second best Nolan performance is in Inception. Oh um, yeah, the, when he has to do that sort of crying on the like, bedside, cry, yeah, 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 that 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 stuff's amazing. But yeah, other than that, he sort of doesn't really have much going on in the Nolan filmography, other than these sort of side side yeah. parts. And then yeah, to be given Oppenheimer as a sort of. Yeah. I think you know my my one of my things with Oppenheimer is that it wasn't human enough. And when I say human enough, I don't mean like it wasn't. I just mean that it didn't touch on the emotional side of Oppenheimer as much as I wished it could have. Uh, but that is not from Killian Murphy so much. It's more how the story is told. Told. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say that he lacked anything. I would. No. I would say that um, it's just a story. Uh, I mean, I think they probably didn't want a scene of like they could have easily done um, a recreation of that scene where Oppenheimer cries on national TV over the creation. But I think it was the sort of film that Nolan probably didn't want to be so open i think he wanted to present this 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 character of oppenheimer as a man who is very um muddied by his thoughts and very internal and yeah. i think he made a really good representation of a man who we know is complex we know feels this pain we know um has all that but doesn't show it 
yeah. which felt more intimate to Oppenheimer. Maybe it wasn't the most accurate representation of Oppenheimer in the sense of that emotional state. Because, again, this is a man who cried on national TV over the creation of this. And I think we saw more of a version of him of, like, him being more um, uh, with himself. Yeah. 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 I think it's to do with the intention of the filmmaker of Nolan. Nolan, for me, has always been a very abstract filmmaker. Yeah. More more interested in the concepts and these ideas and using the characters as a means of exploring those concepts as opposed to really delving into the emotions of the characters and i feel that way more in his historical films he's only done a couple dunkirk oppenheimer dunkirk was a very like sort of objective yeah, kind yeah. of here's the action this is i think as those are to, great comparisons like yeah. the, the characterization specifically feels very similar in both of those yeah. like we have these people who we know they're going through a lot but it's more so like they're state isn't what matters it's what defines their state exactly oh you almost sounded like that was a batman begins cut it's not it's not who i am underneath oh but i do that defines me yeah. Yeah, yeah um but no i feel like like when you said that it almost it, it's almost like nolan feels a responsibility to tell these stories as an objective person as opposed to you know with the, the, the his science fiction films and films that he creates yeah. the characters for us then he's sort of like with matthew mcconaughey and interstellar he's you can it's not based on a real person you can really play around with those emotions i think that's why i love interstellar so yeah. much is because interstellar is as big if not bigger than oppenheimer and and just because nolan i think is the filmmaker who makes is the best example for an epic yeah. he makes epics like his even films something are, like this yeah his films are massive they feel like there is a score booming in the background always they're huge they they're these complex stories and i think interstellar has a few things maybe i i'd like different but as a whole it is the one that most captures it being an epic but also feeling incredibly intimate to the character yeah absolutely like i think of all of nolan's characters i'm including dark knight every single film the matthew mcconaughey's character is the one i like feel foremost mm. yeah yeah no well, i was gonna say like in my i've just written a, a little review of the film and i was sort of describing it as a a difference he has a sort of one for him one for us mm. dynamic in his filmography if you look at it so he's an experimental filmmaker at his heart so he memento obviously working backwards you've got prestige working from two perspectives you have dunkirk working from three different timelines and tenet whereby you have the protagonist called the protagonist because he decided that if the plot was big enough, the character name wouldn't even matter. Mm. Um, and so those sort of experimental things that, that sort of defy the classic Hollywood convention by um, working backwards or, you know, making the characters maybe less uh, important as, a, as an identity in the film and making the situation more of an identity. Yeah, um, They feel like more of like Nolan's films where... He's made it for himself and he puts it out there for people to interpret and for people to sort of just take it or leave it as a piece of art. Mm. Um, and then you have films like Inception, Dark Knight, uh, Interstellar, whereby, you know, he really cares about the powerful catharsis, making sure that the audience do follow it all the way through. And it does feel satisfying on a one watch, just watching it the first time and just enjoying it. Yeah. Um, and like there's moments in uh, Interstellar where you literally have a character who's sitting on the spaceship and he 
gets out the paper and he goes, this is a wormhole. Yeah. And he's sort of explaining it to mm. the, to the Just audience. Just as they're about to go into the wormhole. You didn't think it, that was a good exactly. idea. Exactly. <laughs> it's sort of expositional for the audience. Yeah. And then... And then also in Inception, he literally gets another piece of paper and he draws out, you know, the dream. And then we're trying to get into the middle of the dream. He's basically, you know, doing those moments for the audience. Um, and in Oppenheimer, he doesn't do that, which means which leads me to think that Oppenheimer is a film for him where he's experimenting with subjective versus objective. He's experimenting with visions, um, subjective visions and, and different timelines and nonlinear. And he's putting it out there as a dense piece of work that you know isn't necessarily meant to be enjoyed you know by a mass audience first time watching it's sort of it's sort of different it's sort of like uh, the difference between Stanley Kubrick and, and Steven Spielberg Kubrick's films don't care about the audience you know 2001 A Space Odyssey The Shining Eyes Wide Shut there's so much like metaphor and symbolism that needs to go that you need to go away and interpret and analyze and, and process um, and then, you know, Steven Spielberg, you know, besides a few films is often just, you know, giving their films a, a real Hollywood heart, making sure there's powerful catharsis and all of that. And I think this film, Oppenheimer, sort of stands slightly more towards the Kubrick side in terms of this is a, you know, a historical artifact, that, but, you know, dense. It's not necessarily... That's a fantastic point with Kubrick. Kubrick yeah. has said like he he is against the he's like i don't get when people watch a film one time a film is not yeah. something to watch one time it's a thing to rewatch and learn and learn and learn and that's a great point that probably nolan had a similar intent for oppenheimer and, yeah. and people are comparing the film to the social network but this is the thing with the social network is you know fincher and sorkin were very much working with the studio the studio said they couldn't be longer than two two hours sorkin had to prove that the 100 and 62 page script was less than two hours when he you when you spoke it in Sorkin's by the speech. way one of the greatest scripts insane, insane and that no. film that film's two lawsuits five main characters all competing for glory and stuff and it's super dense but Sorkin really does care about the audience in that film because you're never confused you always know Eduardo's intentions you always know Mark's intentions you always know the Winklevoss's intentions it's like it's so well designed and Fincher if only and somebody Sorkin, wrote a uh, video essay on uh, <laughs> the social network huh? uh, yeah exactly that's your next um, one <laughs> and then but then I was, I was just thinking like I left the cinema and it's like this dense piece of work and I was like what happens if Sorkin had written the Oppenheimer and Nolan had directed it and it had been more concise, more digestible in the Sorkin way of, of doing things and probably shorter, probably two and a half hours, probably focusing more on Strauss versus Oppenheimer as a through line with the horrors of war as a sort of... As opposed to just doing as the third act. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I think, but, but, that, but those are two different films, one's for the audience and one's for, for, for himself. And I think actually you, you've got to take the film on the director's merit here and like Nolan put it out as a as a dense piece of work on purpose yeah. he didn't fail at making a blockbuster he succeeded in making what he wanted to make which was a dense piece of piece yeah of work. I think the, the the key term here like you, is you use it's like a historical artifact it's something mm. that is just is there now and you're if you if you want to go and see it and you want to have that experience you can and you can pick it apart and whatever um, yeah, it'll be like it'll be like 2001 a space odyssey it'll be sort of something that sits there quite enigmatic like yeah. very difficult to sort of interpret and analyze and they're like you could jump in in the third act and just like watch that whole bit and try and figure out like 
why does he do that and why does he do that and and really sort of it's like reading it's like reading a book yeah um you know it's, it's, it's basically took american prometheus and he didn't really um, yeah you know, yeah, yeah. Cut I, much out I, I haven't read american no prometheus. i haven't but i agree with what, what what you uh you've said completely i think that's uh definitely i think it's the film that he wanted to make 100 percent uh which might be different from the film some people expected but it, it's, yeah it's a really good film anyway my only objective criticism yeah, let's talk about the mixed aspects then. i yeah. think my only objective criticism is that it does not present the horrors of the atomic bomb as well as it should interesting i think yeah, I some people yeah i think i should have left that theater feeling terrified and yeah. i didn't i thought I think, yeah i agree i, think, I, think I, agree I did at that. one point that's in the my, film. my only criticism because it should like it one because it is terrifying so it should hit that so hard um, you 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 are right actually because yeah i didn't really feel that that f- like that fear as much as like people on twitter were hyping it out up like beforehand they were going you're going to you know leave feeling super uneasy and stuff and actually you know the final images of the film were shocking but because they were oppenheimer's subjective experience i didn't really feel it you know but is the film about the horrors of the atomic bomb or is I it about oppenheimer i think it's not but i think role. as a film about oppenheimer it has the responsibility to show these horrors interesting i think it it has to it just has to and so, i think if a big are you, theme are you talking it, about showing like Nagasaki, i don't i don't know if it should have showed it or if maybe it should have like done something maybe you were looking for that wow factor i was wow is uh, wow sorry wow 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 is a is 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 i didn't want spectacle i didn't i don't even think necessarily it should have showed the bombings but i think um when you read about what the atomic bomb was it is i think it's one of the most harrowing things in the world i think it's like when you read of the things that happened before it on the day after etc it is horrifying and i didn't feel that i didn't i felt more of that when i was when i've been reading about it for example and i think now i don't know if it should i actually did like that it didn't show it weirdly um but i I think it just should have done something to um to to make us feel that dread and terror yeah, and I and I this is one of the things I also had for the mis- mixed aspect is the fact that I wish they really doubled down on that. Yeah, because I thought that they did. I mean, they did. They did that one scene. They did the one scene, but I wanted double, more yeah. of that. Like I wanted, and I sh- I thought it was quite powerful that the fact that they didn't necessarily show those. It was it showed those images, but it was more so Oppenheimer's reaction to seeing those images. Sometimes I think not showing things can be more powerful. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is why I was so impressed with the sound design because you can kind of, it allows the audience to kind of create those images in their head and speculate for themselves. Yeah. It I opens up it, their I, imagination I, more. I think it didn't need to be image based necessarily. Obviously that is, it could have worked amazing. It's the easier route to take. I don't know how. I haven't thought about it that much, but I think there were ways of really like pushing on that. There is, I, and I think it's the sort of thing that's like, I'm, I'm missing like one scene or like one monologue or like one bit to really like lock down that. Um, but I, I think you're completely right. I don't think the film dropped I, the ball there because I don't think it wanted no, that I, necessarily. I just, I just think for the entire film, we are with 
Oppenheimer yeah, the whole yeah, time. Yeah, I agree. To break away from that and really sort of kind of, even when we see the detonation sequence, we're yeah. seeing it through his eyes. We're seeing yeah, his yeah, reaction. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, sure, there are these aerial shots of, of the, yeah, yeah. the nuke going off, but at the same time, everything we are seeing is through his eyes. Well, not everything. Obviously, we yeah. have the objective yeah. um, standpoint. But speaking of which, what did you guys think of Robert Downey Jr. and the whole Strauss thing? I thought he was amazing. Yeah, I, I loved all of that. Um, and I thought like, there was some really good cinematography in the, in the black of white in black and white. They developed new IMAX for that, isn't it? The yeah, black there was some like yeah. amazing like um, focus pulling between the two, like those. I just thought this is really no yeah. technical I, I, stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I, thought, I thought that the uh, Robert Downey Jr. bits were really good, and I thought he was amazing too. I think it's one of his. I, I thought he gave a really good performance. Best performances, I, think. I, yeah. I I will say though, like after the detonation and after the sort of aftermath of mm. the Hiroshima and Nagasaki stuff, that was kind of when. I started to feel a little dip in momentum and I wasn't as invested. I was really invested all up until the detonation and all that mm. stuff. And I thought it was riveting. After that, I didn't, uh, I lost the film's identity a bit. I agree. Because I was like, okay, so wait, what are we doing now? Are we going back to, the, there's there's two hearings taking place. Yeah. There's like all this political stuff going on. And I was like, okay, cool. We have, an, we have another hour left. I guess this is what they're going to do. And I think on the rewatch, that's the stuff I'm going to actually... Yes, this is the, that, that, the third act's going to really reward yes. a rewatch because, you know, I didn't read American Prometheus yeah. prior to watching this film, so I don't really know the politics and the context. But then I went on Wikipedia and then I did like, you know, the different, like each character and sort of seeing how they contributed and didn't contribute. And then all of a sudden you go, yeah, actually, it should be in there because it is all really interesting. And I really do want to see how it all pans out. And I can't wait to rewatch it and see now with some more context um, and see how it pans out. I would say like the film, as you said, like that third act. And I was wondering how was the film going to end? I was really I was really like confused. Like, how is this going to like even like wrap up and to have it wrap up with him talking to Einstein, Einstein. from his perspective? That was nice. That was, that was awesome. a really that clever awesome. moment because this awesome. whole time Strauss thought he'd just aired him because they had a chat about yeah. him. So, and then and then to have it, you know, you know, uh, you know, when I asked you would it cause a train reaction, and he goes, yeah, and what of? And he goes, I think it has. Yeah. And then the, and then it's just this insane imagery of just like like a load of nukes. I agree I think yeah. that was amazing I and that did and it did tie it all. Fully. I agree completely. That kind of we have this little without that without that it would have been it would have been i think that's one of nolan's different. friends though the endings yeah i love basically all of his endings well the endings are like the there is a uh is a adaptation like audiences remember the last 30 minutes mm. it's yeah. sad but it's true like if your last 30 minutes are fucking insane like you're, you could like, even say gonna, you could even say 15 yeah the yeah. audience is gonna leave on like a high so he has that thing of like you rise at like the climb the the not the climax of the story but the emotional climax comes in the end yeah which is awesome like i want to have that i want to i want to see those titles and not be able to breathe mm. <laughs> just to sort of wrap this up guys what did you what did you take away from oppenheimer thematically what was the thing that you took away most from this story because for me I had heard like Nolan wanted to tell the story and Nolan, he made a big statement saying he believes Robert Oppenheimer's story to be the most important in human history. And I said, that's a big statement. That is a big statement. But that was like one of the things I left from this, the, 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 I was like shell-shocked by the end of it. And it was that grand sort of feeling of, yes, this, per this person who I didn't, like I obviously kind of, I knew who he was, but I, did, I hadn't 
really gone into his life with, and all researched all of this stuff. That was the thing I took away from, from it more. I loved how the film opened as well. This is something I forgot to mention, but I loved how the film opened with the quote about Prometheus and how he stole fire from the gods mm. and how he was tortured for it. Yeah. And I was like, wow. Like, and what did you think of like when it goes one, fission, and then one, and two, two, fusion? Yeah, I mean that, that's just Nolan kind of sort of be like, hey, this is this is something I'm just establishing at the start. You're probably gonna forget it. Yeah, you're probably gonna forget it. Because at least with no, they, it's like with Tenet, he had like the Opera House, Sator, um, Arepo, and like these are all the things on yeah, the Tenet yeah. Square. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was more so like Dunkirk though, because it was land, sea, and air. Yes, he did one, yeah. two, three, like and and the weeks. Like the, with, does with he have title time. cards for for Dunkirk? He does. He does. Oh, but wow. um, but. Like it's only in, in the beginning or when yeah. those segments start and then you kind of just, it's not there. It's just sort of a marker. It's like a bookmark yeah. almost. Yeah. I don't know. What did you guys take away from Oppenheimer them thematically, if anything? I, yeah, I think it's, it's, a, it's a very important story. And I think it does hit really deep. Uh, I think it, the, 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 I, I'm contradicting myself because I did say in the beginning that it, feels more of like the story of the atomic bomb but i do think that the story of oppenheimer is clear and he is so linked to the story of the atomic bomb so the two um really complement each other in a really good way and i think it is it is definitely i think for me what i took away is is this um i would say human complexity on on a level of we fuck things up <laughs> basically uh i wish i took away more horror and dread of the atomic bomb but i think it focused more on how we created this bomb. yes not on its consequences but on how it's our fault like so i think for me it was that definitely mm. but i do after this discussion i i, I definitely think it merits a rewatch more yeah. i was always going to rewatch it but now i'm like okay good points yeah <laughs> thing is i uh, I think I need to rewatch it again the because yeah. there's there's so much. I thought there's some of the stuff that's really interesting is that Oppenheim is not a hero. He's not a great guy. Firstly, in the opening scene, he literally sticks and sticks like cyanide, cyanide into an yeah, apple. Yeah, yeah. You know, he has an affair with so many women. He sort of throws them to the side. Um, he's pretty nasty to Strauss, and you can kind of you kind of <laughs> relate to Strauss as like fucking embarrassing me in a in a courtroom and stuff like you know he calls him a lowly shoe salesman stuff like that he's a he's a bit of an arrogant um douche in, in some moments but like that flawed protagonist is is very interesting and sort of this idea of great men of history are you know often so flawed and and all of that complexity i think the third act with all of the um the paper pushing and all of the the po politics is sort of another another thing to sort of delve into as well but yeah second viewing um, i think also just to mention like i just learned a lot it's got a lot of information yeah in yeah. There. yeah i learned a lot general knowledge good job like i've <laughs> I, I i i know yeah. more about it now yeah which is a great thing like no definitely you know and the apple thing actually happened as well which yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 it's kind of crazy it's kind I'm, of insane. I'm, I'm sure every insane you know yeah you know attempted murderer i think i think a, a slight criticism i have as well is that there is that one scene where um matt damon's character went to him and he's like he listed the things he is and i think he was like you're a womanizer you're uh arrogant you're this you're this or that and i'm like oppenheimer 
again, this is, it's not a criticism because I think Nolan wanted this, but all of these things of like the cyanide and the womanizer bit and all that, that wasn't really there. Like we didn't see much of Oppenheimer when he was not connected to the atomic bomb. That's what I mean when I say that the two stories are so connected because we, even, even like, you know, Emily Blunt's character. The whole um, communist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, but that's, that was just like kind of there yeah. because it needed to be there. Because like, it needed to justify why he yeah, was yeah. getting, why he was on, tri- I guess, trial mm. for. Yeah, yeah. But um, Emily Blunt's character, Florence Pugh's character, all these things were existing. We didn't see much of his life that was not the atomic bomb, which yeah. I think is the point. It was that his life was the atomic bomb. Yeah. Um, but I think uh, it definitely made me want to learn more about him as a character. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. Where would you guys, in terms of Nolan's other films, where would you kind of put this within his filmography? I'd probably, personally say, I'd probably say middle. Okay. Middle. I would... I have to rewatch it. I would say it sort of doesn't fit into a, into a, a ranking in, in such. Um, because it's just like, can I compare Oppenheimer to in, Interstellar or like Inception? I kind of feel like this is a film that might change depending on the age. Like, I feel like I might like this... More. more when I'm like that's a good point in a couple of years time point. like yeah, yeah, yeah. down the line when I can really look at it and be like oh wow like no, I missed this this and this when yeah, I was yeah. um, but yeah, no it's like it's either my favourite or it's just like like yeah because I've mid. heard a lot of people <laughs> say like it's Nolan's magnum opus it's his mm. best it's, just, it's a masterpiece this, this and that it's not that I don't believe it I genuinely think some people actually like think of see it. that in there. Yeah, 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 no, for sure. And like I said, I think it has some of Nolan's best work. Yes, in this film, the highs are high, the lows, you know, there's yeah. there's a range, and it's very difficult to sort of sort of rank that in there. Yeah. You know, I I always like you know have that sort of love hate with Nolan because I'm sort of like I can see some of like um, some of his writing. You know, in, in Inception, you can see some of like the lines of dialogue that sort of. You can see of like him writing them in there for the audience yeah. and stuff like that. But you know, it is this one is his most Kubrick Kubrick sort of. I agree with that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I agree. For sure. To wrap this up though, Mickey, I want to ask you, uh, you recently did a video essay on why the Barbieheimer, Barbenheimer phenomenon yeah. why why does why the double bill yeah. why it matters. Yeah. And what do you And think, who won? Who won? Um, and not, what not, does it not, mean? Not financially, but just who won. What does it mean? As, as maybe a cultural I, moment. What I does think, it mean I for think, cinema moving forward? I think there isn't a winner because both both films won greatly. Uh, it means a lot, actually. It's it's a very, very, very important weekend. I really mean that with, with everything uh, I, I have. It's, all my heart. It's, it, with all my heart. <laughs> it's an incredible thing to happen to cinema. Um, I think this last weekend was just so beautiful to see people so excited. Yeah. To, to make it a day. Oh, the Barbie, the Barbie viewing insane. I went to last night yeah. was full. It, yeah, and it, everyone it was wearing pink. And I had, I accidentally wore a pink shirt, so I was not there <laughs> as well. I, my, my friends in Bulgaria are arranging, were arranging a viewing this morning for this night, and they couldn't find seats. Yeah, for like nine fifty. Um, but no, I think it's, it's well in the video as I speak about why it happened and why they wouldn't have done it why they ended up doing it but the most important thing i guess i say go watch the whole thing i'll link it down below what do you think will happen do you think studios will try and do more of these sort of i think that no you don't think that you don't think think i think it's it's gonna have no no impossible Impossible. it's a one-time thing because it's like nolan has all of the like all of the film bros 
and then it's Bobby's like, it won't happen again because it will feel fake. Yes. The reason why people did it is because it's a meme, because it's so fucking stupid if you think about it. That Barbie is really, yeah. like, we forgot about it, but Barbie and Oppenheimer, like, it's so so it will never happen because they can't. I think it will happen because they will attempt to do it. I don't think Whether so. or not they won't. But, but the, the thing about the internet level. is it's like, it's only, like, yeah, things yeah. are only funny if they're ironic. Exactly. And, like, if they happen the second time, it's no longer funny. Exactly. No, but the thing is, the thing is, I don't agree because I think originally, it was this meme but it's become so much more than that now Ge like the general moviegoer who doesn't follow those memes and doesn't know the history of these two films sort of battling over yeah. they're just going to see Barmanheimer because they heard oh there's a double bill but and I think from a studio perspective it like it's way too risky to bank that it would happen again because if you think about it I speak about this in the video essay I say it lightly, but from a studio perspective, this is not very smart. Like you've got two massive yeah, blockbusters, no, I agree with. and yeah. it is not very smart. They ended up doing it for various reasons. Watch my video, I say, but um, it's uh, it's not very smart. So it's too risky to bank but on like, it again to what, do it like, again. Take take um, Oppenheimer out of it. What other film could could be the sort of supplement to Barbie? Like Barbie, Barbie was always going to do well, yep. and then it would be. What would be the other thing to sort of supplement it? It couldn't. We couldn't really. Fincher don't. I, th I don't think has the same pull. I think in the cinema. I don't think, you know, like even Killers of the Flower Moon. Would that have the same pull to the cinema for? No, it's, it needs it's, to be. It has, no, to, but it has to be Oppenheimer at the same offices. time. Yeah, 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 yeah. I yeah. think. I think. But I think it's incredibly important. And uh, go I, watch both of them. Watch them at the same time. <laughs> Enjoy your day. Make it a full day. Watch I, watch Barbie first. I think... See, that's why this, no, this is what I did. That's the false this order. Is, that's what I did, but it's not the right order. But, um, <laughs> I disagree. I think, but I, really? I, yeah, I disagree because I think if you go... If you watch Oppenheimer first, and there's all this... But you need to compute it. Yeah, you then, need to compute it. And then you go see Barbie. Um... I, it might just jar you, I piss think you Barbie off. Is yeah, that's why. That's why yeah. I say you, you got to watch Barbie first. Nah, yeah, think, that's why I said. I that's why I agree. Barbie is the perfect summer cocktail evening film. But anyway, that's a harder <laughs> discussion. But no. It's, yeah, you can't. You can't be processing Oppenheimer yeah, while watching Barbie. And then watch Barbie. Yeah. yeah, it's amazing because it makes going to the cinemas an event again. Yeah, that's what I speak about in my essays and uh, in my essay, and that's very true. It makes the experience not something you find the time for, but something you make the time for. And I think that is a wonderful note to leave this episode on. Thank you guys so much Thank for coming you, and talking Oppenheimer, Appreciate it. Barbenheimer. Yes. Uh, this has been episode 12 uh, of the Popcorn Podcast. Once again, thank you to my guests, Theo Brown and Mickey. Their respective channels will be linked down below. Mickey's and Theo's got a got a short film that he would love to share with the world. So please do go yeah. and check it out. Over on uh Flick Fanatics. Flick yep. Fanatics. Um, but that is it for this episode, guys. Do let us know what you thought of Oppenheimer and Barbie, Barbenheimer, down below in the comment section. And uh, we will catch you very soon in the next episode. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers.